1 Samuel 19. Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Now therefore, please take care of yourself in the morning and live in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will talk with my father about you, and if I see anything, I will tell you. Jonathan spoke good of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Don't let the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he put his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and Yahweh worked a great victory for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will, will you sin against innocent blood to kill him without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As Yahweh lives, he shall not be put to death. Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. Then Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. There was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and killed them with a great slaughter, and they fled before him. An evil spirit from Yahweh was on Saul, as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing with his hand. Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he stuck the spear into the wall. David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you don't save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window. He went away, fled, and escaped. Michael took the teraphim and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. When the messengers came in, behold, the teraphim was in the bed, with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. He and Samuel went and lived in Naioth. Saul was told, saying, Behold, David is in Naioth at Ramah. Saul sent messengers to seize David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, God's Spirit came on Saul's messengers, and they also prophesied. When Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Siku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? One said, Behold, they are in Naioth in Ramah. He went there to Naioth in Ramah, and then God's Spirit came on him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naioth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he also prophesied there before Samuel, and lay down naked all day and all night. And therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? So what happens in this chapter is that Saul's trying to kill David. Jonathan says, you better go and hide. David goes and hides. And then Jonathan has words with Saul saying, what's the go? Why are you trying to kill him? He's been good to you. And Saul sees reason, so he calms down. 
And I guess they were in a patch where there was no wars going on and life was pretty normal. But then in verse six, six it says, there was war again. <laughs> oh dear. So David goes out and he's once again killing and he's succeeding and he's conquering and the jealousy returns. It's too much for Saul. Saul tries to kill him again and this time it's on. David knows I've got to get out of here. And so he goes home and his wife says to him, if you don't leave tonight, you are dead. So he gets out through the window. Now, I guess this is a, a house built into the wall of the city, a little bit like um, in Jericho, you know, in Rahab, let the two spies out the window, something like that. I'm not actually sure which city this is in. It's not Jerusalem, that's for sure. So uh, it could be in Bethlehem. And uh, it, it could be that... Um, you know that the city was locked up for the night, which is probably why the messengers didn't come in and just get him straight away. But that night he gets let out through the window and he escapes. I'm not completely sure which city this is in, but either way, he gets away. And um, none of us have been in a position like this where we know if I stay here tonight, I'm gonna die. But there are a number of people in the Bible that were in this position. You know, Saul was someone that got let out of the window in a basket in the book of Acts. Joseph had a dream with baby Jesus. We're in the dream, the angel said, you know, get up and go to Egypt. And this is at the middle of the night, he's got to go. So this is a, happened to a few people in the Bible and it'd be a very, very scary thing. And you can imagine young David, he'd be in his 20s, he might be 20 or 21 or 22, and he knows, um, I've got to go. He's only just been married, he's newly wed, his wife's telling him go. And he goes and does not see this woman for more than 10 years. This is it, that's, that, that's the last he sees of her. And in the meanwhile, Saul takes her away from him and marries her to someone else. The whole thing is really, really unfair. And yet even though it's unfair, David never complains. Well, at least he doesn't complain about Saul, but in the Psalms, you can read a number of Psalms where he talks to the Lord and he says to the Lord, you know, where are you? Why are you standing so far off? And so he does complain to the Lord but it's in the context of prayer. He trusts the Lord completely. And uh, the Psalms are so wonderful because they're a real window into David and, and his struggles. So David escaped. And you notice where he goes. He goes to Samuel. Now Samuel is the prophet of the Lord. And you know, when we're in trouble, when you're in a place of difficulty and you don't know where to go, where should you go? You should go to the Lord. <laughs> it's obvious. But so many people don't. That's the weirdest thing. People get into trouble and they don't go to the Lord. They try to figure things out on their own. But the first place we should go is on our knees. Say, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? I need your help. We need to get on the side of the Lord. And, and David goes straight to Samuel. Now Saul tries to get him by sending messengers and even going personally. But in each and every circumstance, the Lord intervened. So the Lord was protecting him. In the end of this chapter, Saul personally goes to try to get David, but the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul and he prophesies. Now, this is the weirdest thing. You've got someone who's so unrighteous, so full of jealousy, so ungodly, they're just wanting to kill, you know, they just want to murder someone that's innocent, and yet the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they prophesy. Now, figure that out. How on earth does this work? Well, there's a really easy answer to this. If we go right back to before Saul was jealous, before Saul had his problems, when Saul was anointed as king, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. So Saul was given the gift of prophecy way back. 
and the gift of prophecy didn't have anything to do with how good of a person he was. It was a gift. And the Lord does this. He gives people gifts. In fact, he gives gifts all the time to all sorts of people. There's all sorts of talented people in the world that have natural gifts. I remembered once I watched a concert. Um, I don't watch a lot of a lot of concerts. This was just a, a video. And this was Yanni. Some of you have heard of Yanni, the composer. He's a modern, like, uh, symphonic composer. He writes really, um, you know, wonderful music. It's all, um, you know, there's no, uh, it's all instrumental. There's no singing, and it's orchestral, but it's modern. It's really good to listen to. And I was watching this concert with Yanni, and there was a man on there playing the harp, and I don't know his name, but it was the most fabulous harp playing I've ever heard. It was just amazing. And he was strumming this harp, but fast, like, and it was incredible. And I remembered thinking to myself, now, I ashamed to admit this, I remembered thinking to myself, I was quite impressed with the music, but I also thought this poor man has given his whole life to this harp. And uh, you know, what if he'd given his whole life to the Lord? I remember thinking something along those lines. And I must have shared those sentiments with my dad. <laughs> this is many years ago. And dad said that the Lord gives people these gifts and abilities and the world is richer because of them. And if you think about it, he's right. There are so many people that are good at lots of different things. And thank God the world is full of people that are good at art, good at music, and good at you know, designing buildings and, and, and good at sports. And the world is so rich and wonderful because people have been blessed with gifts and abilities by the Lord. And thank God for it. And what they need is just to come to love the Lord and to use their gifts for Him. There's not a problem that people have gifts and the Lord has blessed them with gifts and it's not according to their righteousness. I mean, thank God for people who've written, written well. Think of the great poets of the world, the things that have been said. Some of them aren't even believers, but the world's been so blessed through their poetry. And so here's an example of someone that the Lord gave a gift to. The Lord knew in advance that they would do wrong things, but he gave them a gift and they used their gift for him, even though they didn't deserve. And Samson was another one like that, who used his gift for the Lord, even though he was an immoral man. So we always learn from these examples that just because you do something good doesn't mean you're a good person. And so we've always got to guard our heart. And um, so David now begins a life of exile for about 10 years, I believe, or it may have been 11 or 12. He's running for his life and it's a difficult patch. And you might have wondered, in your own life, when God's called you to something and, and but then the opposite happens, you might wonder where on earth was the Lord in all of that, but the Lord seems to do this to people. And it's part of the school of hard knocks that he puts people through because he wants to not only give you something to do that's important and wonderful, but he has to prepare your heart for that so that you're not proud. You need to be humble. You need to realize that it's the Lord that, that is working through you. It's not your own righteousness. And so the Lord often puts his people through great difficulties because it's, it's what's needed. And you can't come into the promise unless you go through the difficulty as well. So that's what's happening here. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for difficulties in our own life. We embrace them because we know they're good for us. We know that without them, we can't come into your plan. We can't be what you've called us to be. We thank you for stories in the Bible like David. And I pray you'd help us as we go through our own times of exile and our own times of flight and our own times of struggle and difficulty and persecution. 
Ask your grace to be given to the body of Christ that we might be a pure and a spotless bride for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.